In a world of stereotypes, being called a geek comes with a certain image. There is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream, and behind every geek is a real story. My dad was the one who got me into Star Wars and things. Join me, your super dummy Paul, as I continue my learning experience and talk to the real people. I'm a secondary school teacher, so I teach 11 to 16 year olds in English. Subscribe to Era of Geek to hear their stories. He's one of them like, you've ever gonna grow up? And I'm like, no, why should I? I, I like my life, I, I enjoy what I do, this is my hobby. Search for Era of Geek on your favorite podcatcher or go to superdummy.co.uk slash geek. Imagine twin Earths, each the image of the verdant globe on which we live. Imagine these two worlds, forever separated by a limbo of interdimensional space, identical planets evolving separately across the millennia, each witnessing the birth of man, then the dawn of civilization, and finally the beginning of the age of superheroes. On one world, the world we'll call Earth 2, the superheroes started to arrive on Earth in the early part of the 20th century, when a rocket ship brought the star child Kal-El to safety. Kal-El began his career as Superman in the early days of World War II as the first of the great heroes, and soon he was joined by other heroes, and they joined forces to become the first super team in history, the Justice Society of America. Thus, the two worlds knowingly coexist, one inhabited by the familiar Flash, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and other heroes of the Justice League, and the other by the original superheroes. These, then, are the legendary members of the Justice Society. Welcome to episode 4 of Earth 2 in the Bronze Age, Crisis on Earth 2 from Justice League of America number 22. Thanks for joining me today in this new endeavor. As one might expect from someone who loves the golden age of comics, which I explore on the classic comic show, one of my other comic passions is the original Earth 2, as depicted in DC comic stories of the Silver and Bronze Age. While this show aims to revisit the stories from the Bronze Age, so that's essentially 1970 through 1985, we have to start with some context. My initial idea was to start with the relaunch of All-Star Comics with issue number 58 in 1975. That was cover dated February 76, but it was quickly apparent that I needed to add some context at the very beginning, so what better way than with the origin and first appearance of the Earth 2 concept from the Flash number 123, which I covered in the first episode. In episode 2, we looked at Vengeance of the Immortal Villain from the Flash number 137, the story with the first appearance of the JSA in the Silver Age. 
Episode 3 was the first part of the two-part crossover of the Justice League of America's first meeting with the Justice Society from Justice League of America number 21. Today, we're going to finish that story with the second half from Justice League of America number 22. Not only is this the first crossover of the two teams that began a yearly summer event up through the Bronze Age, it's also the first time the word crisis is used for a DC story event. Not the first time ever in a story, sure, it was used somewhere, but this is the instance that began nearly all DC event comics utilizing the word crisis. It will be used in the titles of a number of JLA-JSA crossovers, but eventually, uh, for the maxi-series that eliminated the Earth-2 concept from continuity, 1985's landmark Crisis on Infinite Earths. In the ensuing years, we've seen Infinite Crisis, Final Crisis, and as this show is being recorded, we are currently in the midst of Dark Crisis. Before we go any further, though, I want to share a little something about my recollection of first discovering comics from this era. As I stated last, uh, last episode, I actually have a copy of JLA-21, and at that point in my comic collecting career, when I got that, I was, uh, you know, early teens, maybe 13, 14, maybe even 12. I'm sure it's 13, 14, something like that. And, uh, you know, I'd go to the comic book store, Heroes Aren't Hard to Find, uh, every Saturday morning. Uh, this is when new books were coming out, I think late, uh, late Friday afternoon they would come in, and so they would, uh, have to do all the pull subscriptions for, have them out by Saturday morning, and then Saturday morning they would, uh, you know, pull everything together, and you could go in Saturday and get your, your pull list, uh, uh then, uh, so I would go, uh, every Saturday, you know, maybe we'd cut the grass first, or go get haircuts, something like that, my dad and I, and we'd go down to Heroes, and I'd get my new books. But, you know, I started getting interested in all the back issues and the tons of long boxes in the middle of the store. And, you know, it was... I didn't always know what I was going for uh, originally. But then, uh, later on, I, I started to go, well, I want to get an old Green Lantern. I want to get an old Flash. And back then, at that time... Uh, DCs from the 60s were so much more expensive than Marvel's. I mean, I probably got the first appearance of Captain America in Tales of Suspense for like four or five dollars. But the same, uh, but a book from the same uh, year from a DC would probably would have been eight, ten bucks. But eventually, I did start to get some of the DCs. You'd look through the through the boxes and find one that was. Uh, a little more reasonably priced, get one of those next week. Maybe I'd get a Green Lantern instead of a Flash, and then a Hawkman. And uh, then I remember I have this really clear memory of not every Saturday, but many Saturdays. It's not something I would come home immediately and we'd, I'd read them all immediately. It would take till that evening till I'd really get a chance to sit down and start reading my comics. And uh, I remember listening to this. Uh, radio program called uh, Solid Gold Saturday Night. It was uh, playing you know, oldies from the mostly the 60s, maybe a few 50s songs, but you know, that era just before the, uh, the Summer of Love, so no Zeppelin and stuff like that, but a lot of you know, Beatles, Stones, um, the Birds, the Turtles, the Association, a lot of those uh, 
those kinds of uh, songs, uh, and it fit the the era of a lot of these uh, old comics I was getting from the 60s, so there was a little bit of synchronicity there, but I remember in my bedroom, laying on the bed or on the floor, the music playing, and reading these comics, and going back over these uh, these two Justice League comics, it's hard, uh, hard not to think of a uh, think of those moments it was such a nice uh it's such a nice memory and such a nice feeling uh to remember the first time i discovered these these comics and the first and now i get to sort of relive those moments uh of course something like you know the flash of two world story from flash 123 i could never have afforded that issue i'm still not quite sure how i got a copy of uh justice league number 21 that Looking back, it's I can't imagine I was able to uh, find a copy that was in, that inexpensive. But I got it. I did. I, I I've got it. So I'll have to look at it and see if I've still got the uh, original bag and uh, price on it. But I don't think I do. I don't think I do. But anyways, okay. Let's 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 move on. I was just thinking that when I was preparing to record, and I, I just wanted to share that uh, that nice memory. Uh, so let's get into it. Let's get ready for Justice League of America number 22. It's cover dated September 1963, so just a month after the last issue. The cover, which is credited to Mike Sikowski and Murphy Anderson, seems to be a reworking of Anderson's cover to Mystery in Space number 18. So if you follow the link uh, in the show notes, you'll see uh, on the DC Fandom Wiki page uh, where, they, where they show that and talk about that and show the, the cover to Mystery in Space 18 also. The credits on this issue are Gardner Fox Writer, Mike Sikowski Pencils, Bernard Sachs Inks, Gaspar Slattery and Letters, and of course Julie Schwartz is the editor. Without further ado, let's get the Cosmic Trill Treadmill up and running and head on over to Earth 2. So if you recall in Justice League 21, two trees of villains, uh, one from Earth 1 and one from Earth 2, plotted together from the space between Earths to thwart their respective nemeses by stitching, by switching Earths and disguising themselves the opposite trio. Uh, when we left off, uh, the JLA was heading one way and the JSA was heading the other way, uh, with the two Green Lanterns on a special joint rescue mission for the Flashes. Alright, let's dig into this story. As we're, here we go. So, the first page, a splash page, has you know the Justice League of America logo at the top with the roll calls: Adam, Aquaman, Batman, Flash, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, John Jones, Superman, Wonder Woman, and then the Justice Society on the left side: Adam, Black Canary, Doctor Fate, Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Our Man. And on the right side, we have the crime champions of Earth 1 and 2. From Earth 1, we have Kronos, Dr. Alchemy, and Felix Faust. And in Earth 2, we have the Fiddler, Icicle, and the Wizard. As recounted in Crisis on Earth 1 in the previous issue, there is a second Earth, almost a duplicate of our own, which coexists with our world in different vibratory dimensions. And just as a group of superheroes has banded together to form the Justice League of America on our Earth, so has a similar team been formed on Earth 2, the Justice Society of America. 
Meeting in the borderland between the two Earths, the crime champions, a sextet of villains from both Earths, plot to commit a series of robberies and then hide out in perfect safety on each other's Earth, where they are unknown. However, as a precautionary measure, the flashes of Earth 1 and 2, uh, the only ones who might identify the villains in their separate Earth havens, are quickly imprisoned inside inescapable energy bubbles in the borderland between the two Earths. The criminal coup is successfully pulled off despite the attempts of the Justice League and Justice Society to stop it. In a follow-up battle, the Justice League members become trapped in their Earth-1 headquarters, from which they are unable to escape because it is ringed with awesome magical powers. As a last desperate hope, they resort to a seance which materializes the Justice Society members inside the JLA headquarters with the magical help of Dr. Fate. The Justice League of America is shifted to Earth-2 to resume its battle with its regular foes, while the Justice Society of America remains on Earth-1 to pursue the archvillains from its world. Now you're ready to proceed with this follow-up story, Crisis on Earth-2. Now isn't that interesting? That is a lot of exposition to catch up the reader on what's going on. But you know, that's how comics were at the time. You may not have been able to get every single issue of Justice League to uh, to know what happens. So maybe this time you're at the store, the drugstore or the, or the newsstand, and you see these two Green Lanterns and on the cover and the rest of the uh, teams and cages floating in space, and you're like, well, I want to know what's going on with that story. So you buy the issue, and... I guess luckily for you, they have gone to the length of catching up entirely. So, on the next page, uh, you know exactly why there are two Green Lanterns flying off together. Sent out to rescue the trapped flashes in the energy bubbles between Earth-1 and Earth-2 are the two Green Lanterns. Meanwhile, on Earth-1, the members of the Justice Society of America are racing to seek out and overcome their arch-foes. Radio reports say the wizard is robbing an alfalfa city and that the Fiddler is carrying on a one-man crime wave around Clayville. The icicles pull the job outside three corners. Alfalfa City. That's... wow. Soon after, in the Clayville Natural History Museum, there he is, the Fiddler. Let's make sure we wrap him up good this time, Adam, and his fiddle. His violin leaps to a shoulder as the Fiddler, who has resumed his normal identity after posing as Felix Faust, sends a flow of musical energy into the air. My old foes plan to steal a special museum fund to have met with a temporary delay. In response to the melodious summons, a polar bear comes to life and a gorilla, uh, so the Adam and the Hour Manor uh, being attacked by these uh, taxidermied creatures. Long unused super muscles flex as these old timers do battle once again. Man, this is really living. I haven't felt like a less alive in years. To join the bear and the gorilla, the fiddler activates a pterodactyl and a kangaroo. Now the Justice Society duo is battling with grim ferocity. Their powerful grip preventing me from reaching my radio belt. Adam, can you manage to hurl that winged reptile in my direction? Exerting his last ounce of strength, the Adam sends the pterodactyl flying straight towards Iron Man. Coming up, one pterodactyl on the wing. As the stuffed creature crashes into the man of the hour, the impact turns on his radio belt. Convenient? I couldn't reach its controls myself, but I preset them to a frequency that will jam the fiddler's violin music. How also very convenient. As our man's radio beeps interfere with the sound waves given off by the fiddler's violin, the animals come to an abrupt halt. 
you two are just as dangerous as you were more than a decade ago. Like twin tornadoes, the Justice Society Dio cuts down the violin villain. Next stop for you is jail. Miles to the west, in an open-air art gallery, the icicle is making off with priceless works of art. These statues will bring me plenty when... What? It's Dr. Fate. I wasn't expecting him here on this earth, but I'm always prepared for an emergency. The cold ray gun sends a frigid blast upward at a dark cloud, bringing a chill rain down toward the Master of Magic. Then the rain alters its shape, as... Guess I'm a little rusty after such a long time in retirement. If I were in top condition, he'd never have had the chance to freeze me in this ice column. More, as more and more rain falls, it freezes onto the upright ice shaft that looms gigantic as it builds second by second. I'll build a glacier around Dr. Fate, encasing him with so much ice, I'll have plenty of time to make my getaway. Surrounded by numbing ice, the man of magic calls upon his great powers, so long unused. All the wisdom of ancient Egypt is in my mind. I must release it by the spells of the lost book of Thoth. In response to the modern mage's mental orders, streaks of magical lightning tunnel a narrow path through the ice. Streaking upwards, the magical bolts form mighty fires in the sky that hurtle down upon the frozen column. So hot and fierce are the falling flames that the ice quickly melts to water. Quickly, Dr. Fate directs the water to change into a flash flood that sweeps the icicle off his feet. Ugh, I do not activate my cold ray gun, or I'll freeze myself in solid ice. When you hit the wall and are knocked out, you'll wake up in the nearest jail. Elsewhere, the shadow of Hawkman keeps pace with the racing black canary as they rush to keep a rendezvous with the wizard. I see the wizard up ahead, making to get his getaway after robbing a jewelry store. You can have first crack at him, Hawkman. I'll deal, with the f I'll deal him the finishing touch. The Flying Fury really will be mad when my magical wand commands his wings to fly him into outer space. As for the Black Canary, I'll rock her back on her heels. Upward into the upper layers of the atmosphere rises the Winged Wonder, his mighty pinions defying his control. Far below, the Black Canary struggles with magic-endowed beings of solid rock who leap to intercept her. Ugh, I can't shake this man rock off. Gripped by hands that tighten around her body, the girl gladiator struggles furiously. No matter what I do, these things still cling to me. They weigh so much, they're forcing me off my feet. As she goes down, Black Canary contorts herself so that her nimble fingers yank open her canary amulet. My one hope is to prevent the wizard from directing the actions of his rocky puppets. From the amulet, she lifts a burning glass and focuses it, focus it upon some nearby bushes. So the sunlight, I guess, is going through the glass and uh, catching the bushes on fire. So intense is the heat from her special gadget that the bushes burst into flame, upward roll a thick wall of black smoke. Unless I see my rockman, I can't direct their battle against the Black Canary. Now this is not any kind of device I've ever seen Black Canary use before, not that I can remember at least. Uh, certainly seems something they developed simply to get them out of this, uh, this, uh, this tight spot they're in. Leaping upwards through the wall of smoke and flame comes Black Canary. My wand turning into a medieval battle axe will knock you cold. You miss, wizard, but I won't. Gripped in powerful hands, the great magician is swung up and flung high in a jiu-jitsu wrestling hold. My compliments on your neat trick, Black Canary. Now it's my turn to top you. Even as the wizard sails through the air, his enchantment begins to take effect as uh, my body, my body turning to solid marble. Meanwhile, 
his disobedient wings in a hand, and supported by eagles whose language he speaks, and who obey his commands, comes Hawkman. Luckily the wizard hurled his battle mace upward at such an angle I can grab hold of it. That was one of the powers of the Golden Age Hawkman. He could speak to birds. And if I remember correctly, the Silver Age Hawkman from uh, Thanagar could also do the same thing. But I do recall reading a, a Golden Age story not too long ago, maybe in that episode uh, we did of Wanted with that uh, with that power on display as well. Under his command, the, his eagle friends swoop low above the ground so that the moment he becomes unconscious, his magic will stop. Hawkman's able to uh, give him a good whack with that mace, but not so that the uh, that it draws any blood. <laughs> then, are you alright, Black Canary? Thanks to you I am, but how did you escape the wizard's magic? I summoned my friends the eagles to catch me when I slipped out of my wings. Then they brought me down here in the nick of time. Now let's take the wizard off to jail. Meanwhile, in the misty borderland between the earths, the two green lanterns are buffeted by terrible gales. Even our superpowers are hard to put to offset these incredible blasts which are slowing us down. Up ahead, I think I see a structure of some sort. That's the end of chapter one, on to chapter two. Sent to Earth 2 by the magical powers of Dr. Fate, the members of the Justice League of America set out on the trail of their arch-foes, Felix Faust, Dr. Alchemy, and Kronos. Given another opportunity to match their wits and muscles against these crime champions, they are grimly determined to emerge the victors. So we've got the Adam, John Jones, and Green Arrow together, Batman and Wonder Woman together, and Superman and Aquaman together. Uh, and it's just it's a panel of each of the groupings uh in you know in route and it's interesting that you know we've got batman and wonder woman uh both in their planes and superman is flying kind of low over the ocean and uh aquaman is holding a uh water ski uh uh skiing rope and superman's pulling him along and so he's water skiing but you know on his feet I find that a very interesting way to travel. <sighs> okay, at a carnival which Felix Faust has been robbing of its special charity day receipts. What's this? The Martian Manhunter? Adam? Green Arrow? I thought they were safely locked up in their headquarters, but no matter, this pinwheel will help me defeat them. With a triumphant chuckle, he speaks the cantrip, which will make his magic work. Editor's note, a cantrip is a magical incantation. Wheel this round and call a pin, whirl around in a steady spin swung off the ground and rotating like pinwheels in a strong wind, the superheroes find themselves momentarily helpless. I'm twirling so fast I can hardly think. My arrows are starting to fall from my quiver. Felix Faust has become a blurry image. As the archer rotates faster and faster, ha ha, even your weapons are deserting you in your hour of need, Green Arrow. Though in a dizzying spin so great is the super breath of the Martian Manhunter that I'll blow G.A.'s arrows right at our foe. Eh? Even turning like a feather, he's dangerous. Again, the mighty mage calls out a magic spell. Target large or small, attract those arrows, catch them all at a giant uh, uh, bullseye. Target pops up to uh, protect Felix Faust. As the shafts dig deep into the magically magnetic target, the bowman manages to bring out a tiny bow and arrow and fires it. Okay, Adam, do your stuff with one of my small arrows. So, the green arrow has a uh, bow and arrow that is probably, I don't know, six inches, six inches high. 
that he's firing an arrow from, and it flies over to the atom, and the atom catches it, and it is pulled to this target, and when he gets there, uh, the Mighty Might releases his hold and pinwheels upward, so he's leaping from one arrow to the other that are all ready in this target. Upward from shaft to shaft he spins, until at the very top of the target, still rotating madly, he releases his hold and arches through the air. By increasing my weight, then decreasing it, the end of the last arrow shaft added like a springboard, hurtling me over the top of the target, right in a Felix Faust's chin. Bam! Got him. As the magician slumps unconscious, his spell ceases to work, and Martian Manhunter tells us, when Felix Faust comes to, he'll be in prison. Flying high above a mountainous countryside in their planes, which Dr. Fate's magic is fashioned for them, Wonder Woman and Batman scan the landscape for a glimpse of Dr. Alchemy. No sign of him yet. The radio report said he was headed this way. But it is Dr. Alchemy who first catches sight of the high-flying superheroes. Incredible! How could they possibly have escaped this secret sanctuary trap? But what's the difference? With my matter transformer, I'll turn their planes into winged bucking broncos. All I can say is it's a matter transformer instead of a uh, portable vibrator like last issue. As the radiation from the matter transformer touches their planes, the Amazon Princess and Gotham Goliath find themselves battling for their lives. Gotham Goliath. I don't know if the Batman's really a Goliath, but okay. There are no wind currents here in this valley. If I'm tossed off, I'll fall to the ground like a stone, says Wonder Woman, indicating she can't actually fly, but she just flies on the wind currents. Uh, you and me both, Wonder Woman, so hang on. Yeah, Batman, you'd be in big trouble. Far below them, although the effects of my matter transformer last only about 20 minutes, that will be long enough to seal the doom of Wonder Woman and Batman when they are thrown to Earth by those bucking broncos. Wilder grow the winged horses, even more ferocious in their attempts to dislodge their riders. I'm slipping off, says Batman. I can't hold on any longer, calls out Wonder Woman. Suddenly, Wonder Woman yanks, her free, yanks free her magic lasso. That unusual rock formation below looks like a hitching post and gives me an idea. I'll latch onto it with one end of my lariat. Controlling the other end of the lasso that it holds both steeds, Wonder Woman takes advantage of the winds created by the wild, beating pinions of the horses. I can ride these wind currents easily. Catch me with your utility rope, Batman, and I'll glide you softly to the ground. But as their feet are about to touch the ground... Oh, we're still falling. The ground beneath us changed into air. More of Dr. Alchemy's handiwork. When they hit the bottom of the crater and the air around them starts to turn to soil again, we'll be buried alive. Not if we get out of here by tunneling a path sideways through the ground. Follow me, Batman. On the surface, we have Dr. Alchemy crouched over his... uh his money he's stolen. I'll hide this money I stole from the Ferndale Bank in this cave. What's that? She's surprised to see one woman pop up out of the ground like a uh, like a drill. Can't anything stop you, Justice League characters? I'll turn you into solid lead. Maybe that'll hold you for a while. You've given me an idea, Dr. Alchemy, says Batman as he follow one, follows one woman out. And he tosses a tiny glass pellet straight for the matter transformer. It hits it and knocks it out of his hand. Ow! That fire stung me. There was powdered lead in that pellet, and when powdered lead comes into contact with air, it bursts into flame, this explains Batman. While Wonder Woman and Batman are leading Dr. Alchemy to jail, the two Green Lanterns burst into the world's uh, into the Between Worlds hideout of the crime champions. 
At last, we've reached the imprisoned flashes. A couple of Green Lanterns coming to our rescue. Beaming their power rings at the bubbles, the Emerald Gladiators are amazed to discover that we can't get into the bubbles or bring them out. Again, they hurl their titanic powers at the magical bubbles, but to no avail. We won't give up. Hal Jordan's made a big uh, green buzzsaw. And Alan Scott is uh, got a big hammer, a big mallet, clanging against the side of one of the bubbles. There must be a way to free them. Even as the two Green Lanterns labor to free the two flashes near a lighthouse, near a lighthouse on Earth, we have Kronos. I've succeeded in stealing the prayer clock that made this lighthouse famous. Ah, oh, look who's coming to pass the time of the day with me. It's Superman and Aquaman. Uh, Superman, of course, still pulling Aquaman uh, so he can ski, water ski on his feet. To the surprise of both Superman and the Sea King, Kronos surrenders meekly. My time's run out. I'm your prisoner. Watch out for a trick, Aquaman, says Superman. With Superman at the controls of the flying sundial, they move off with their captive one, Aquaman. He's collapsed. What happened to him? <laughs> My special vibration watch. Put him in a coma, Superman. I had it timed just right. Unless you expose him to the healing rays of a certain kryptonite meteor which I've placed on a little island in the Pacific, he is doomed. And you have only one minute in which to do it. So it's time you got started. Gripping the flying sundial with both hands, the Man of Steel rockets across the Pacific Ocean close to the speed of light. Kryptonite will weaken me, even perhaps destroy me, but I must risk that in order to save Aquaman. At the island, of course Kronos may be bluffing, but I don't dare call him. Aquaman's life is the most important thing to be considered right now. In that interval, when Superman is weakened by Kryptonite, and before Aquaman has fully recovered, there is no time to waste. Here's where I make my getaway while neither of them is able to stop me. Moments later, when Aquaman's strength returns to him, You saved my life, Superman, but Kronos got away. I figured as much, but I'll track him down with my telescopic vision. But when Superman searches for the time thief, he isn't anywhere I can see, neither on Earth nor in the sky. That means Kronos is using his sundial vehicle to flee under the sea. I'll command the sea creatures to hunt him down for me. And he does. Instantly on receipt of that new on that message, Superman and Aquaman speed the tip of South America. Just before we reach the Straits of Magellan, I'll drop you off. I don't want that vibratory watch of his to hurt you a second time. The sea creatures have told uh, Aquaman that Cronus uh, is headed to the Straits of Magellan. Soon as the Man of Steel recaptures his prisoner, I'll crush the vibratory watch so you can't harm Aquaman again. Then we'll both take you to jail. You'll serve time for your crimes now. And, in the borderland between the two worlds, there's only one hope left since both flashes can see and hear us, says Hal Jordan. I catch your drift, Juliel. Light and sound waves can pass through the bubbles. All we have to do is... Reduced protons of light by their power rings, the two flashes burst out of their bubble prisons. But as soon as they regain their freedom, both the flashes and Green Lanterns shimmer and fade out of existence. At the same time, on Earth-1, the same thing happens to the Justice Society characters, and on Earth 2, it happens also to the Justice League of America members. We couldn't trap them this way without the help of the two Green Lanterns because we didn't have enough power to work the incantation. As soon as the Green Lanterns supplied that extra power by freeing the flashes, zap! The trap sprang shut. Alright, we're getting ready to head over to Chapter 3, but first, check out this message from the Comics in Motion Network. 
did they come from? How did they begin? The Comics in Motion Network presents Classic Comics with Matthew B. Lord. Explore the golden age of comics. Learn where some of your favorite characters got their start. Find out their origins. And perhaps you'll find some characters you've never heard of. Or comics that you've never seen. Newspaper strips like Terry and the Pirates or the Golden Age Daredevil. Don't be surprised to find something from the Silver Age and important historical moments in the history of comics. Only on the Comics and Motion Network. Classic comics with Matthew B. Boyd. Find it where your favorite podcasts find you. Crisis on Earth 2, Chapter 3. As they disappear from Earth 1 and Earth 2, the Justice League and Justice Society members find themselves locked inside cages far in the depths of outer space. So here's where we get the, uh, the cover image recreated on the inside as part of the story. Neither the power rings of the two Green Lanterns or the superpowers of the various members can manage an escape. There is no kryptonite around these around, so these cages must have been fashioned by magic, exclaimed Superman. No matter how hard I try, I can't trip between the atoms of this cage, says Ray Palmer, the atom from Earth-1. I've improved my miraculous pills over the past 20 years to give me even greater powers than I used to have, but to no avail, says the flustered Hourman. Suddenly, the atom contacts the Green Lanterns through telepathic communication system between the cages. I can't slip through the atoms of my cage because it was especially designed to prevent it, but maybe you two can make yourself small and drop between the atoms of your cage. It's an idea, says Hal Jordan. It's worth trying, says Alan Scott. Turning their power rings on, the em on themselves, the Emerald Gladiators shrink their bodies to subatomic size and plummet through the floor of the cage. We must coat our bodies with a power sheet to protect ourselves against the dangerous, dangers of outer space. Then we can free the others. They hurl the full might of their power rings at the cage containing the flashes, but we don't have quite enough power to force it open. Wait, we've diverted some of our power to protect ourselves in these auras. If we turn that extra power onto the cage, it might do the trick. Instantly, both Green Lanterns remove their auras and concentrate their full strength of their power rings on the flashes cage. We can survive for a few moments within our auras. It worked. Now quickly, throw about... Throw green arrows about ourselves and the flashes. Safe from the danger of space, the two speedsters help the exhausted Green Lanterns open the next cell. Our super vibrations are breaking this one open. We'll give you a hand with the other cages, boys, says Wonder Woman, who's been trapped with the Black Canaria. With, within moments, all the cages have been broken, and now let's mix it with those crime champions for the last time. On Earth 2, the crime champions have joined forces after the imprisonment of the Justice League and Justice Society members. But now, wait, the Felix Faust says, I sense a disaster. As do I, adds the wizard. Incredibly as it seems, our foes have managed to escape from their space cages. This time I've got a sinking feeling that when we battle them again, they'll nab us for good, says the Icicle. Then we've got to escape, but they'll never find us, says Kronos. But where, asks Felix Faust. Suddenly the Fiddler cries out, I've got it. There's an Earth-1 and Earth-2. Somewhere there must be an Earth-3. If we can find the doorway into it before the Justice Champions find us, we can escape them forever. Now, I'm sure... For a few precious moments, they conduct their search. If magic hides it, we'll uncover the passageway. 
I found the gateway to Earth-1 with my sonic vibrations. Maybe I can do the same for Earth-3, says the fiddler as he plays. If time hides it, my chronological knowledge will reveal it, claims the Kronos. Too late, here they come, all of them, announces Icicle. And then there's this neat two-page, two full pages, uh, and each one has uh, three uh, tiers on it with... Uh, uh, them battling, so we have uh, team-ups of the characters now, so now it's some JSA mixed with some JLA, so at the top we have the Icicle getting trounced by the Earth-1 Atom, Our Man, and Green Arrow, uh, and the next panel down, or the next uh, row down, we have Aquaman, uh, Jay Garrick Flash, and Wonder Woman uh, tackling the Wizard, and then Alan Scott, Green Lantern, and Superman are uh, knocking out Dr. Alchemy. The Fiddler is uh, not enjoying the music that Al Pratt, Earth 2 Adam, Hawkman, and Hal Jordan Green Lantern are bringing him. Dr. Fate, Batman, and Barry Allen Flash are taking on Felix Faust. And at the bottom, uh, John Jones, Martian Manhunter, and the Black Canary are taking the uh, Cronus to task. We turn the page and then when the sounds of battle die away, we save not only Earth-1 and Earth-2, but for all we know, Earth-3 as well, says Dr. Fate. Yes, and we'll take precautions to see they never threaten anyone or anything else again. After the crime champions have been securely jailed, we're going to keep in touch. There's no telling when we may be called upon to join forces again, says Hawkman. I can just see Snapper Carr's face when he learns he had to miss our biggest adventure of all, because he had to take college exams. I hope he passed his test as well as he did ours says Aquaman, and that is the end. Not much of a denouement, but it does uh, lead us to think about Earth-3, and those of you who know Earth-3, Earth-3 is an Earth that is the opposite of uh, both of the Earths we do know, Earth-1 and 2, where the iterations of the Justice League are villains, the crime syndicate, and I don't suppose it's any real spoiler to tell you that the next crossover in Justice League 29 and 30 is in fact Crisis on Earth 3 in which the Justice League and Justice Society meet the crime syndicate from Earth 3. Superwoman, Owlman, Ultraman, Johnny Quick, and Power Ring. Now we are not going to be covering that story, but we will... Uh, just briefly glance at it in the next episode. We're going to jump ahead. Uh, next issue. Next issue. <laughs> this is not a comic book. No, wait. It is a comic book. It's not a comic book. It is a comic book. It is. So, we are definitely going to uh, take a look at the stories in between the one we just read and the one before uh, for, the, for the next episode. Because next episode... Um, we are jumping ahead to Justice League of America 100 for the first of a three-part story uh, that runs through 100 through 102, and uh, we're going to meet the lost, the time-lost Seven Soldiers of Victory uh, as we get ever closer to All-Star Comics number 58. So I hope you'll be on hand to join me for that, and I hope you're having a good time uh, as much as I am, as good as time as I am reliving these stories, because it's clearly not the first time I've read them, and uh, 
there's a lot of fun and nostalgia to be had with this, not just for the stories themselves and the era they come from and the their place in the history of comics, but also uh, if you're familiar with them or you've read any of them before at all, it, it might take you to a certain time or place in your life when you first discover them. And that's what it's doing for me right now. So uh, thanks again, and we'll see you next time when we learn how the Justice League and Justice Society meet the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Ah!